0: Good afternoon, everybody. It's a de to, to you, bringing you another episode of Across the Romaverse, episode 17. And we're coming to the middle, the, mid, sorry, the middle of December. And it's, you know, it's coming up the holiday season, but Roma are still playing. So we're still with you on the airwaves. We're going to be with you throughout Christmas. I don't know if we'll actually have a Christmas episode, but I don't know what you're looking forward to this, this holiday. Maybe you've got a date with the in-laws that you're not looking forward to maybe you love your in-laws maybe you love them more than your significant other this year or maybe uh, your significant other finally leveled with you that your mother's christmas gravy recipe that you've been bringing to the table for the last three years just isn't as great as you think it is whatever the case may be whatever your family dynamics you got the familiar voices of myself sean and my co-pilot Stephen today Stephen, how are you doing
1: i'm doing well i'm you know can't be more happy than I am after yesterday's five-one thumping of Bologna. A great way to bounce back after that uh, Europa League kind of clunker, you know, meaningless game. They kind of let it get away from themselves. Can't can't ask for more than five-one.
0: Yeah, were were you expecting? Well, I mean, you were expecting more against yes, Sofia, but how how much more were you expecting from him?
1: You know, it was the first Europa League match I finally got to sit home and watch because I happened to be home these two weeks I mentioned to you um, because school's been remote. Of all the games to catch. Yeah, so of all the the Europa League matches to catch it, I happened to be on the uh, Spanish channel here in the States, and I I get that channel. And I I had a lunch break and a prep back-to-back, so I caught about the first 60 minutes of it um, before I had to go back to teaching. And I thought I would have seen much better even with a heavy (laughs) rotation and a meaningless game. I thought some of the younger players and some of those – uh, kind of fringe players who don't get a lot of steady starts would put a little more into it. Uh, I was happy to see Milanese score. That was the big highlight, obviously. But, yeah, yeah. Some, yeah. some troubling trends. But considering who was on the pitch, the Fatios and the Juan Jesus, it didn't, you know, worry me that much. But uh, nice to see the, the club as a whole bounce back mentally from that and just take it to Bologna. Yep.
0: Yeah. Uh, he's talking about uh, Roma losing midweek to CSK Sofia. I believe it was re won in the end, right? Yeah. And, Sophia um,
1: you know, celebrated like they just won the World Cup or something. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I didn't I didn't catch that game and I didn't manage to catch the game yesterday either. So I'll just be honest with you straight up that. It's gonna be me paneling today and Stephen's gonna be I'm gonna be grilling Stephen over his, his feelings over both performances. Well, mostly the Bologna game is what we're gonna to cover today. But yeah, after losing midweek and, and really treating that Sophia game as the dead rubber match that it was and no one really grabbing the opportunity to impress for the sake of that game. It uh, came down to yesterday, this past weekend, where Roma had to travel to Bologna and both sides went into this game stumbling in the table. Both sides are well wide of the mark. Well, maybe not well wide, but still falling short of their respective season targets. Bologna came into the game fresh off a 3-1 loss to Inter Milan last week, and Roma with that uninspiring defeat away to CSKA Sofia. So, in the end, Roma came out of this game with a 5-1 win, and what a 5-1 win it was. We rarely ever see Roma take three points in city out in the manner they did. They scored three goals in the first 15 minutes alone, and all six of the goals, including Bologna's, which was actually, again, scored by Roma, by Costante's own goal, all of these goals were scored in the first half. In that wind, Roma took just 46.4% of the possession and took around 100 less touches of the ball than Bologna over the whole 90 minutes. And yet, the Giallorossi ripped off 16 shots on Bologna's goal, 11 of those coming in the first half, and only one of Roma's attempts on Bologna's goal came outside of Bologna's penalty area. So it was really what we're getting used to calling the stereotypical Fonseca-Roma lethal counter-attacking points where... The team really lived for the break, they lived for the attacking transition, and not just that, but they actually worked the ball into the opponent's box before taking their high-quality chances on goal. This uh, 5-1 win means that it's only the third time in Roma's club history that they scored five goals in the first half of the game. And it's the first 5-1 Roma win in the league since 2002's win over Lazio in the Derby della Capitale. It's Roma's most prolific first half since May 1931's 7-1 victory over Livorno. And there are a lot of similarities between that game and, and yesterday's win in that Roma's uh, captain on the day, Roma's first ever captain of the club, Attilio Ferraris, uh, he scored an own goal on that day against Livorno. So the, the opponent's lone goal on that day was actually, again, scored by Roma. And uh on that day in 1931, Roma's now fifth all-time highest goal score scorer, Rodolfo Volk, was on the score sheet yesterday. Uh, that mirrored the achievements of Edin Dzeko, who now moves onto the podium of top three scorers in the club's history, drawing level with Amadeo Amadei. Uh, they're both on 111 goals, and if you want some more coincidences, both Amadei and Dzeko have now scored the exact same amount of goals in the exact same amount of games played. They both took 234 games, to get to where they where they've gotten to on a on a Roma podium, uh, that would you know give Edin Ed Jacko some ammunition for the critics that, that claim that he weighs wastes too many goal chances. Apparently, he's not the only one. Um, Jacko, when he scores his next goal, it will land him outright in the top three. He'll draw clear of Amadei, and he will only have to catch up to Roberto Pruzzo and Francesco Totti. Maybe in, in the next lifetime, not in this one. But um, yeah. We, we will talk about that later on to see if, see if anyone believes that Jacko can, can keep, keep climbing up the, the annals of Roma history or not. But the match result itself, 5-1 on a day, means that Bologna have now conceded eight goals in the last two games, while Roma keep themselves in the top six, which is very, very important going into the Christmas period. There's just six points that separate first-place Milan with sixth-place Roma, so very tight at the top of the table. Two games could change everything everything at the top of Serie A Uh, but unfortunately Roma have the ignominy of having the worst goal difference of all top six teams so far and they've also conceded the most goals out of anyone in top six so it looks like defense really is still the key in Italian football because even Atalanta and Lazio who aren't in the top six who both would have expected to be this season uh, they've conceded just as many or more goals as Roma so defense still is king that's uh, that sums up the match yesterday, but we'll, we'll get now into the more in-depth aspects, and the nitty-gritty of the of the performance, especially in the first forty-five. We've got a lot to to unpack here, um, especially Roma scoring early. Stephen, do you, do you think that do you think the early goal convinced Roma to to play as aggressively as they did? We saw yesterday that um, by the end of the, the game, Bologna played with almost really effectively what, what amounted to a high line and uh, really trying to push up on on Roma. And many people feel that they're aggressive approach backfired and really played into Roma's hands, you know, played into that typical um, fast break game that we're used to seeing from Roma by now. So do do you think that Bologna set out to play that way, or was it just that Roma managed to change the game almost from the outset by scoring early?
1: Yeah, I don't know if that was Mihailovic's initial plan was to press Roma so high. But, you know, one important moment I think that should be mentioned even before that fifth-minute goal by – Roma, the own goal, which uh, would have been a goal regardless because Dzeko was right behind Poli to, to tap it in if they didn't score, was that Paul Lopez actually made a pretty decent save about two, three minutes in um, because Roma could have fallen behind very early and that could have changed the whole course of this match really because yeah. then Bologna, you know, knowing Mihajlovic's tendencies probably would have sat a little bit deeper and made it much more difficult like we've seen for Roma to play on the counter like we've mentioned in past episodes. So I think the early goal was big for Roma to allow them to play that counter attacking football. Whether, you know, that was Bologna's plan from the outset or not, it's hard to tell because Roma did score so quickly that we couldn't really get a, a feel for the flow of the match, um, you know, mm-hmm. past five minutes. But, you know, Bologna did have a couple key absences, including their keeper um, and a couple others, I believe, were out. I had read, but, you know, Roma took it to him and, and Roma was deadly on the counterattack yesterday. We saw plenty of chances. They probably should have scored eight or nine goals. They missed a couple chances that, you know, were begging for them to be scored. Um, Bologna's only goal was the own goal. So Roma played a a, a great all around game. Uh, very exciting to watch from a Roma perspective to see five goals get poured in within the first half. Uh, you know, Pellegrini was a little bit offside on a what would have been his second goal. So there were a couple great chances. And you know, like I said, whether they planned for it or not, Bologna they just got exploited.
0: Yeah, you know, I, as I said, I'm. I'm gonna be honest. I, I, like I said before, I haven't seen the game, so I'm really relying on you. But you know, just on a from from a you know from a visual basis, did, did Bologna look tired on that day, or did they did they turn up fresh, or and how is Tomiyasu? Because obviously there's there's a lot of uh, hype around him as the next big thing. But uh, he was one of the central defenders yesterday, and uh, evidently didn't do a good job or he didn't go. Yeah, to
1: work. from what I remember from Tomiyasu, he did not do a great job. I believe he was responsible for one of the goals. Uh, I think he missed his mark somewhere. Um, okay. But, yeah, Roma, Spinazzola caused De Silvestre tons of problems down the left side with his pace, which is not surprising. Um, Karsdorp's mm-hmm. pace came into play, too. Um, one of the goals uh, later in the second half, it might have been the fifth goal. Let me just check the – I believe it was Mikatarian's goal, the fifth one, that Karsdorp really just back. tore down the flank. Um, yep. Mbaye actually got hurt, <laughs> pulled a muscle defending Karsdorp on one of those marauding <laughs> runs he went on. So. He was also very impressive. Um, the flanks were huge. And when you're playing a counterattacking football like Roma is, the, those two wingbacks pushing down those flanks to spring those counters is big because um, yeah. those are Roma's speed guys. Mkhitaryan and Pellegrini were, uh, you know, superb yesterday. Pellegrini changed his role a bit, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, but he seamlessly filled into that more attacking midfield role that Pedro Vacated and helped with the counterattack. So did Jecco. Um, yeah. yeah, so when, I don't when, know if Bologna was tired or not, but Roma just outpaced them throughout the match.
0: When, when I looked at it on the the average position map after the game, it looked like uh, Bologna's full, fullbacks were caught in no man's land where they're, they're sort of like caught between dropping deep with their central defenders or pushing up and playing the ball. So normally when you see that um, in a Roma game, it means that really Roma – Roma's wide men, as you mentioned, Spinarola and managed to get into their opponents' heads and and yeah. really cause them indecision. Would you would you put it mostly down to the wide men, or, or was it Mecatarin and, and Pellegrini helping out by you know pushing up on the wings ahead of them? I, I saw I saw I did see the highlights where um, one of the goals was um It was actually just passing the ball early a forward, like almost blind passing it in front of them to where. I think it was I think it was Pellegrini waiting in front of him to receive the pass. So, was it was it was it the forwards or the wide men that that were really responsible for this game?
1: I think it was a combination. I th- I thought all four of those players played played well. Um, but yeah. you're right. I, um, Pellegrini does drift out wide sometimes. He was the more right-handed uh, attacking midfielder He filled the Pedro role, and he would drift out sometimes to fill that wide space. Um, yeah. same thing with Mkhitaryan out on the left. They, there was a lot of overlaps with him and Spinazzola on the left side. Um, I I noticed too. Which definitely opened up some space too. That I I don't envy the fullbacks for Bologna. Say so they had a <laughs> full. and um, poor Mbaye, he paid for it with uh, I think it looked like a hamstring. Um, so yeah. definitely not an enviable enviable position for either of them. Um, Roma was you know they can counter yeah. like this; they'll be hard to beat as long as they get those early goals and put the opponent in a position where they have to you know then look for a goal themselves.
0: Yeah, well that that brings me to a point uh, that. I've been wanting to bring up before this, before we got on air, and um, I'm sort of skipping ahead here, but let's stick to Spinozola and Castle for a second. Um, what I saw after the game, and I'm, I'm, I'm purely going off numbers and, and what I've seen in the in the you know the summaries. But um, Spensol played a far more conservative game. You know, I, I've I've made criticisms of players in the past where I've regretted it. Uh, I remember why I said that Nicolas Agnolo should. Um, Should learn to play. uh, Should like, sort of like, polish up his game around the box and learn to do one twos around the box and and really focus on his passing game and be more of a midfielder. And I remember one game he tried that at false nine for Roma, and uh, tried to he tried to sacrifice himself more for the team and got nothing but criticism after the game. And I I regretted it because I felt like if he just spent that game running forward to goal and, and shooting on target, people would be you know praising Zaniolo as usual. So after that, I said, you know what. Daniela she's just focused on running and, and you know, to his strengths and, and, and be a striker um, I've, I've had moments like that in the past where it comes off like I'm trying to change like wanting a player's game to change for for the worst of their their career you know <laughs> but <laughs> as far as pinzola, uh, you know when, when we had that talk a while back where I just I almost gave up on him that week, then he comes out against Palmer plays exactly like how we were talking about has a great game, and Roma have a great game because of it, a nice balanced uh, attack across all three channels. And then yesterday as well, now, I didn't see the game, but the numbers speak for themselves. He played mm-hmm. far more conservative. Uh, as he said, he was matched up against De Silvestri on the right side who was trying to push up for Bologna, so he you know, Silvestri left a lot of space behind to attack. But even with that in mind, Spinazzolo wasn't running the ball as much. He, was, he played only 10 passes forward all game compared to Carlsdorp's eighteen. Um, which suggests that he was really focused more on linking up with VR and, and his defenders more, and, and trying to create clusters on the left side. Uh, he only did Spinazzola. This is only did three dribbles all game, and from this more conservative Spinazzola performance, Roma scored more goals than than ever. They had a the numbers advantage in midfield the whole game, six versus three over on average over 90 minutes. So they they crowded out the halfway line. That was a really where they, they, you know, Bologna couldn't get any joy because. Roman managed to crowd out the midfield, thanks to Spinazzola. and uh, they spread their attacks evenly across all three flanks. you know, they actually they actually spent most of their time attacking through the middle, but they, they launched a few attacks down the left and the right as well so now this is exactly what we talked about these last few mm-hmm. weeks and is, is this the way forward for not just Spinozola but for Rick Carsop is, is this a, this more balanced approach brings out the best in both of them or or, or did Bologna just make it too easy for for, for Roma yesterday and we're reading too much into this?
1: Yeah, we'll see going forward after they play Torino and At- Atalanta maybe if this trend continues uh, because this could be a one-off where Bologna was just that bad that Roma was able to, you know, spread play around more. But I think going forward, if if Roma wants to be more successful, I think a balanced attack is important because we've seen Karsdorp is more than capable of pushing forward down the right and giving them an option down the right. I feel like, and I love Spinazzo, I've-, I've said it many times on on this program that I really like his game, but... You know, a little less of the ball for him and a little more for Rick cannot hurt Roma because when you're so left heavy, like they've been in many matches, it just makes you so much more predictable. And I think when there's that little bit more unpredictability for a defense, it just opens up so much more of the field for Roma. And, you know, yeah. it, it opens up play for a lot of players, not just Karsdorf, but, you know, Pellegrini or Pedro drifting out wide right or whoever it may be. Um, yeah. I, I, I think it's big for Roma to keep it as balanced as possible. Now, are there going to be games where maybe there's a matchup to exploit? Sure. Um, this this match, maybe, you know, De Silvestre was a little bit of a tougher defender than Mbaye, and that's why they were more balanced, and, you know, mm-hmm. Roma recognized that, I'm not sure, or maybe Spinazzola just saw an opportunity to conserve a little energy, because he's played so many minutes, and when Roma was up that's big, maybe, maybe he's like, you know what, we're up 3-4, eventually goals, you know, maybe I can that's turn it a little bit. And yeah. I'll talk about the substitution patterns later, but I think that could be him just turning off a little bit too, because he did have a good defensive game as well. He had three total tackles and four interceptions. Um, the four interceptions were tied with Ibanez for most on the team. So he put in a, an all-around performance, like you mentioned, and, you know, a little bit less of the ball, maybe not a bad thing. Save some legs and a, a blowout. Yeah. Um,
0: well, let, let, me, let me ask it to you in a different way. Do you, do you prefer watching Spirazzola in the game – at a performance like this, or do you think do you prefer him like more in the Fiorentina mode, where he's more spectacular, but maybe maybe the team uh, brings out a result that's a little bit different to yesterday's.
1: So um, I I like the balance. I like seeing Spinatel on the ball because he is yeah. so good on the ball. But I think because we have a an attacking you know wing back on the right, I think it's important to spread the love. If we had like a Santone playing on the right side like we had earlier in the season, then I think you. Would it, you, you would want more of the ball in Spinazzola's feet because he's the one that's going to make things happen. But I think Karzorp mm-hmm. can make things happen also. So I would prefer the, the balance. I think the balance leads to better results. You know, um, mm-hmm. We'll see if that trend continues, like I said, because then we'll really get a true indication of if the balance is good for the team. But I can't see a world where it's not. I think balancing an attack, like I said, gives you more options and it keeps the defense more on their heels and not yeah. knowing where the, the ball's coming from.
0: And just to add more pressure for Rick, uh, Cafu, all people was just named the all time best uh, no, all time best right back in football history by France Football today, at the Ballon d'Or ceremony. So, um, yeah, just 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 those little shoes to fill on the right sides. Yeah, <laughs>
1: <Fair> <laughs> but enough. I have to say I've been impressed with um, you know because I, I questioned a couple of weeks ago Karsdorp as a long term solution. Uh, still a relatively young player at 25 in, you know, a bigger league than he was accustomed to playing with in, in Holland. Yeah. And I think we're starting to see him start to make good on his talents. He's not, you know, by any means the best right back in Italy or even a top five right back in Italy right now. But he's making a case for himself to be the consistent starter, I think. Okay, well, n- name, name five right backs better than him. Well, that that's a that's that's a good question too because right I'm not, back I'm is.
0: Not, I'm not being rhetorical. I'm just no, and no, I know.
1: Um, yeah. yeah, I'd have to really think about it because right back yeah. isn't the strongest position on the peninsula. We've seen that in yeah. recent seasons. Yeah. Um, I mean, Hakimi's playing the right for Inter. You'd have to say Hakimi's yeah, I up go, there. Yeah. I um, Hakimi. yeah. Who plays on the right for? Is it? Gozins is on the um, left for Atalanta, right? Who's on the right? Is it Darun?
0: Cast- uh, oh, no. Castaneda's gone. so It's, it's going to be Hattabour now.
1: Hattabour, you know, he yeah. plays well. Um, yeah, that's true. You know, yeah. Lazzotti pretty good pushing up for Lazio. I don't know if he defends so well. Um,
0: he's know, okay, so, yeah.
1: Yeah, he's okay. Um, Di Lorenzo gets starts for Italy for Napoli. So, you know, True. And I've, I've I, from what I've heard, I, d- I haven't watched a ton of Milan. I've only seen him here and there. I did watch him yesterday's match. And he didn't really stand out to me yesterday, but Calabria has been complimented. Yeah, I like him this year. Yeah. So there so, are yeah, some your other point, your yeah. yeah, your point
0: stands. Yeah, your point stands. Yeah, Cal's got some work to go.
1: I, he's got some work to go, but I think he's been improving, which is important. Um, yeah. You know, and that's all we can ask for from him.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm happy with his performances, and uh, you mentioned also Roger Banias, uh, with his interceptions. I looked on the official league site. Uh, I don't. I'm not sure what they define as ball recoveries, but. Again, this is just a category where I end up stupefied after a game because I'm aware of how much Roger Banias puts himself around the pitch, but the numbers are just monstrous. Uh, he's, he made 16 recoveries yesterday for Roma, which is twice as many as the next Roma player, which was Edin Dzeko with eight. And uh, that he was really a key to Roma dominating that that part of the game, which was um, dominating the the attacking transition, like we said, Fonseca loves to, to do this season. Uh Roma to you know they they saw less of the ball, less possession, less touches, but they had fifty five ball recoveries compared to Bologna's thirty eight. And a lot of those recoveries were Ibania sitting on the, the left side of the halfway line just waiting to to uh you know pick Bologna off. Were 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 most of those recoveries um Ibanez's is uh like were they one on one jewels where he's he's winning the ball off players or was he was he intercepting the ball ahead of time?
1: Um I think most of them were were loose balls um according to who scored he had four interceptions eight clearances so I guess a couple of those other recoveries would be um I guess loose balls because those that's 12 and you had 16 from the official site which if it's from the official site I I believe it um he wasn't under pressure too much from one-on-one from what I remember none of the center backs were under too much pressure one-on-one yesterday because Bologna didn't have so many looks at the goal but, yeah. yeah, I mean, he's an important player. We've mentioned it. You know, he has his rough games here and there. We've seen it. We saw against Sevilla. We saw recently against Napoli. He will have his games where he's off. And he's 22 years old. But he's so important to the Roma back line, just with his ball yeah. recovery and then starting up play from the back. Um, did, 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 day. Did,
0: did, that, um, did he have a wild moment in the second half, as I say? There, there was some talk that he should have been sent off for a tackle on Palacio.
1: I think he caught Palacio – I'm trying to remember if maybe his arm was flared out a little bit. I, I'm trying to remember the play. I don't remember anything uh, glaring standing out to me um, okay. in the match that I can recall at okay. the top of my head, but I, nothing that I ever think saying like, oh man, he's lucky he's still on the pitch, but I, yeah. I could just not be remembering. Because um, a, a lot of people
0: already prefer Kumbula style to his, Not not necessarily to make it a, a player versus player thing, but just in terms of style and approach to the game and how appropriate it is to Roma's all-round play, people are saying that Kumbula's a guy who could bring some calm to the team where Ibanias normally you know plays at 100 miles an hour. And you'd expect me to favour Kumbulla because I mean you know my my you know my taste by now. I like mm-hmm. the fat seals, the, the Diawara's, the guys who make it look easy. Mm-hmm. And Kumbula's very much in that mould, whereas Ibanez is, is like throwing himself about the pitch, but. When we look at these numbers, and, and you're telling me they're mostly interceptions, that that tells me that Ibanez has a head for the game. He has a read yeah. for the game. Yeah. You know? So, um, what, what, uh, what, which, which would you say is like the most pivotal to Roma's defense right now?
1: So, I, my preferred back three, when they're all healthy, and it hasn't happened too often this season so far, would be Ibanez on the left, Smalling in the middle, and Mancini on the right. I really like that combination. I think it worked very well over the summer for Roma. I do rate Kambula. I think he's going to be a great defender for Roma, and I think he's a great rotation option because the calendar is so crowded this year that having four solid center backs is so important. We've seen um, how often, you know, Smalling's been out. We've seen Mancini out now. Kambula left with what they said is a cramp yesterday, so hopefully it was just a cramp because Roma's got a busy uh, 10-day stretch before Christmas break with three matches. So, um, you know, you're going to need all four of them. But I do like what Ibanez brings to the table. I like the aggressiveness. I like the pace he brings um sometimes he gambles and gets caught out we've seen that um which is hmm. something that you, I don't think you get as much with Kambula because he doesn't have the pace that Ibanias has sometimes I feel like pace yeah. center backs will try to gamble a little bit more because they they know they have the pace yeah Monolas was uh Monolas was guilty of that sometimes I feel like because he yeah. had good straight line pace tracking back and sometimes it bites you because there are attacking players that are faster than you and um But Ibanez, I think, reads the game so well, like you mentioned. You know, he comes up with so many interceptions, so many clearances all the time. Um, And I I just can't wait to see. I hope he's in the capital for more than what we are afraid of might be just (laughs) if the right offer comes in because he's fun to watch, man. He's just so much fun to watch. And if he can start to harness that aggressiveness the way we've seen Mancini start to harness that aggressiveness this year and, you know, not take yellow cards. um, Yeah and play smart and not make not gamble too often uh, yeah. in, like, tight games, I think we can have a real special back line. Um, yeah, I think
0: that, that's probably the only criticism standing between him and being labeled world-class, in my, in yeah. my opinion, honestly. Yeah. I, I I'd, Normally, I wouldn't expect to, to be as favorable towards a player like a Benias, but, I mean, compared to, like, a kumbelo or someone who's a little bit more composed. But I just – I love the guy. Like you said, I love watching him play. He's so much fun. And it's, it's, he's not a guy who just relies on on his strength or pace or athleticism, which he could do. But, you know, he's someone who, as you said, reads the game. He's, he's an all-round player and really contributes yeah. to the team, both in defense and attack. So,
1: And he's a good passer um, of the ball too. Exactly. Um, so, you know, with a little more experience and a little more calmness to his game, I think he could be the guy that slots into that Smalling role when Smalling's out um, yeah. instead of Cristante. sometimes. He did it earlier in the year. Uh, I wrote a piece about Cristante this week complimenting his defensive contributions as a ball-playing yep. center back. And, and, it's, I, and it's been all I, downhill since yeah, then. Yeah, I think I put, <laughs> the, I put the malocchio on him a bit. Um, but regardless, if Ibanez can grow into that role too, there you have another option to play the three young center backs rather than playing Cristante in a defensive position. Yeah. Uh,
0: I speaking think Ibanez one. Speaking of Cristante, we, he's got an own goal to his name yesterday. Uh, we'll first go on that. How, how much is uh, – how much – I mean, obviously, there's some blame to be put on Cristante's door, but how much is it divided between him and Paulo Lopez in goal?
1: So initially, I, I saw it, and I was like, geez, that was an awful touch. It just kind of flipped up off his foot. It was completely unnecessary. There was no, He wasn't under any real pressure. And Then I started to see some comments today that, you know, Lopez, if he wasn't playing and Mirante was, Mirante would have made the call and gotten the ball. Um, so I guess you could put a little blame on, on Lopez if he didn't call for that ball, because he could have easily just said, you know, let it come through to me. And he would have easily had, uh, you know, scooped it up and, you know, taken out. But at the same time, you know, Cristante is a professional, um, you know, bad touches happened, but, you know, fortunately for Roma, the bad touch happened in a match where they were up already by a large yeah. margin. Um, yeah. at the time that it happened, I think they were already up two or three goals. So it didn't come back to kill yeah, them. They were up three Four, nil Three, the three time. Nil, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you, I guess you could put a little blame on Lopez if he was a bit slow to make a call on something like that. But, you know, in the end, Cristante had a horrible touch about five or six or seven yards away from goal where he could have easily just put it out. Yeah. As much he, he, anything. He, yeah. So, harder
0: to score harder to put in the back of the net than to do anything else yeah, yeah.
1: It, it, it really took something special to put in the back of the net. <laughs> in my amateur you know pickup days I've had a few of those ugly touches not being an experienced <laughs> player so I I know how it happens but uh it's for a yeah. professional it's a bit inexplicable well um,
0: as we said it happened to Attilio yeah. Ferraris uh one of the most respected play- Roma players of all time in, in Roma's massive 7-1 win back yeah. in 1931 so it happens to all of us, Brian, yeah. apparently. Like and on the poly,
1: uh, just one quick thing on the own goal. Like the poly own yeah. goal you can take as a Bologna fan because he, if he doesn't touch it, Dzeko taps it in, you know? Yeah, he's, that's he's true. Trying to make yeah. a play. So yeah. makes it a little harder on Cristante's. but it is what it is.
0: Yeah, and Cristante's week just got worse because uh, this morning he was caught – well, they rolled back the, the footage from yesterday and he was caught blaspheming, yeah. which uh, people criticized Serie for, but they have no choice. It's actually against Italian law to to – Swear in what in, in the manner that Cristante did. So um, he gets a, a one game suspension. He'll be missing the next uh, Torino game and we'll have more on him later. But first let's go to a commercial break. Okay, we're back. Thanks for sticking with us. And uh, yeah, we were just talking about one end of the pitch, but let's move back to the the attacking end and talk a little bit more about Roma's captain who registered his 111th Roma goal yesterday we'll be talking about whether he can um, really move up the table to the, that one place that's out, out of his, well, within his grasp, maybe realistically, which is second place, So he will never catch Francesco Totti, not because we have personal feelings of a Totti, but just because it's just it's not possible. But uh, first, I wanted to read a little bit from someone who knows about Roma top scorers, who took the time to write an open letter to Edin Jacko congratulating him this Monday. And it's none other than uh, not other than the daughter of Amadeo Amadei. Um, I don't think we'll go through the whole letter because a lot of it was kind of more addressed to the Roma fans and winning them over rather than Jacko. But uh, briefly, Maria Grazia Amadei wrote an open letter to Roma's captain over the weekend after his achievement yesterday. And uh, she said, Dear Edin, I want to thank you for having scored those uh, 111 goals for Roma, the same amount scored by my father, Amadeo, in the same amount of games, 234. It's an incredible coincidence, but I'm very happy about it. Your goals have actually carried Roma to reach great levels. You've helped Roma put away difficult games like my father did. I like the idea that you could see yourself in Amadeo Amadei and that you, therefore, could be considered the little baker of this 2020 Roma, as we all know, well, you may not know, but Amadeo was known as the, the little baker because he was, he was born in a, in a, a district of Rome where his family ran a bakery. And that was how he supported a football career. So get back to the letter. She says, dad was a great Roma fan. He lived and died with Roma inside of him. And I see a lot of him in you. You also don't play for yourself, but for the team for that. Sometimes you don't manage to score all the goals that you want to, because you sacrifice yourself for Roma because for her, you give everything. I hope you keep on doing that, and I wish that you'll lead Roma to great achievements that us Roma fans have been waiting on for many years. Dad would have loved to see you in action. He would have been happy to hug another centre-forward as prolific as he was. If you love Roma, you have to hope that certain records will go defeated, because your goals are in service of Roma, and no individual award can count more than Roma. for Erin and for Roma. And, yeah, I mean, some of that is sort of like pandering to the fans and saying the right things and how you know hard work and sacrifice will get you everywhere but a lot of those things Stephen were you know she didn't have to go out the ways of seven but she did you know stuff like I I see a lot of myself or my dad and you and uh, he would have loved to see you play it was pretty pretty heartfelt stuff actually in the end and probably something that uh may may feel you know may remind Jacko of why he decided to stay here all these summers where he could have left.
1: Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's a nice gesture to to you know write a letter to him and you know show the appreciation. I I think Jeco should be appreciated, you know. It's not every day we have a player of his caliber walk through the three Goria doors, especially at the price we got him for. At uh, still a you know pretty good age, I think he was twenty seven or twenty eight when he arrived, so yeah. he was still yeah. in his prime years really, and he's really done well for Roma. Um, you know, he drives us all mad sometimes with some of the misses that that happen. Um, we mm-hmm. we all know he has a. Uh tendency to miss some sitters we saw a couple yesterday you know he could have scored two three goals easily yesterday but yeah. um you know the guy's got 111 goals in 234 matches for Roma that is not shabby at all um exactly. you know, he's third on the all-time list for a reason that just speaks volumes to the player that he is uh he has history now
0: yeah I definitely understand the criticisms and I I, I get frustrated when he misses the easy mm-hmm. ones as well but then then I gotta think to myself well how many people in a Roma shirt can do what, what he's done? And yeah. It's like the answer is literally two, like all yeah. three, you know, at
1: this point. And, so. you know, he's, like you've mentioned in the past, he's reinvented his game to be better for the team. You know, yeah. sometimes we want a striker who will be closer to goal, but his dropping back and picking up play sometimes in the midfield is, is essential certain matches for Roma. He's become a yeah. great distributor of the ball on the counterattack some matches. So he does a lot for the team. He is aging and he's slowing down a little bit in terms of his foot speed. So sometimes that gets frustrating as well. But in Mm -hmm. the the grand scheme of things, he was a steal for the 18 million or so uh, euros they paid for him. And, you know, I I really – I've grown to appreciate him more as the years have gone on. Certainly the golden boot season was, you know, the most impressive one from a goal-scoring standpoint. But he's Mm -hmm. done so much for the club. You know, that goal against Barcelona that set up the comeback uh, in the first leg gets overlooked. You know, he could have easily turned off and stopped playing in that match when Roma was getting hammered for nothing. Uh, You know, I think we just need to appreciate him. I know there's some people that want to run him out the door now because he is getting older. But I think, you know, just like we had to appreciate Totti and De Rossi while they were still around, and I'm not saying, you know, in any way, shape, or form is he on the level of Totti and De Rossi in club lore, you know, appreciate a player like Dzeko while you still have him because who knows what it's going to come after. Meyer all showing promising signs, but we don't know what's going to happen at the striker position when Dzeko walks away. So I think it's important to really, um, you know, appreciate him. Yeah. I know he's uh, now third. I don't know if he'll reach second on the all-time list because uh, Roberto Pruzzo, who's second, has 138 total goals now, and uh, a second on the list.
0: Yeah, that's what uh, I was going to ask you, and that's that's really the the one question remaining in terms of individual glory. I yeah, I mean, he, he won't he won't win a league title unless this year turns yeah. out to be one of the strangest seasons, and he he'll struggle to win a trophy with Roma in general. So can yeah. can he catch? Roberto Pruto in the second place. So the so, gap is now 27 goals.
1: Yeah, to score 27 goals might be tough unless he sticks around at least this year and next, maybe between, you know, all competitions. He might be able to reach that because this is an all-competition yeah. number. Um, yeah. But Pruto played 315 total games for Roma. So that's a larger number than Dzeko played at 234. So if he were to catch him, that'd be a much better goal per match rate um, in terms of, one eleven and two thirty four compared to one thirty eight and three fifteen right now. I, I would think, I think yeah. it's pretty
0: I I remember I remember that there, there is a there
1: is a table where they, they rate them by goals per game and Jekyll
0: at one point was uh in the top two or three as most prolific. Um but then he it sort of declined over the last two seasons where he's dropped down to four yeah. or five, I think. So yeah,
1: and that um, just shows if he didn't have those maddening misses, sometimes how how many goals he would really yeah, have. he'd be
0: on fire. Yeah. On fire. <laughs> well, he also spoke about um, how he's been sometimes a bit hard on Lorenzo Pellegrini uh, in the post match of Bologna. He said yes, he, he admitted that sometimes he he is uh, a bit harder on his his co-pilot behind him than than he is on, let's say, Pedro Mkhitaryan. Um But uh, Jako is one of the one of the first to point out that uh, Pellegrini's game has come off a long way uh, they, they always understood each other uh, throughout the, the highs and the lows and it's apparently paid off with Pellegrini's career because he's having some great performances right now uh, arguably again man of the match yesterday for Lorenzo Pellegrini certainly on who scored he, he won it because he's got assists and goals so you know we know that that website loves those two things um but uh once again, we saw uh, Fonseca change the, of the Pellegrini's role in the pitch. He moved up to attacking midfield um, mm-hmm. as, as opposed to Mediano. But w- was this a forced change uh, after Pedro's suspension, or was, that, was this more because they expected Bologna to push up and, and there was going to be more space for Pellegrini to roam in behind?
1: I think it was a forced change. I think uh, when Fonseca looks at his options, I think in his mind, at least from what I've seen, I think he rates VR a little bit higher than Carlos Perez right now. In terms mm-hmm. of how much they play. So I think uh, for him, it made more sense to push VR into the starting role in the central midfield and push Pellegrini up rather than keep Pellegrini uh, deeper and start Perez, I think.
0: But then couldn't, couldn't you play, if you, if you wanted to like the light, light, couldn't you play VR in attacking and then Pellegrini in, in Mediano?
1: Yeah, I think uh, Pellegrini, I think in, in my opinion, at this point in their careers, is a better option in more of that attacking midfield role. I think VR is uh, better at you know, sitting a little deeper and controlling possession a little bit more from what I've seen. Okay. Uh, at least recently, but I, I Pellegrini was outstanding. Actually, SofaScore I saw on Twitter a little before we came on released their team of the week, and Pellegrini was the highest-rated player in all of Serie A for Match Day 11 at a 9.1 yeah. rating. So it wasn't just who scored; it was also on um, on SofaScore. Him and Mkhitaryan both made the team of the week. Mkhitaryan had an 8.9 rating too. Yeah, um, the two of them both had in an a goal and an assist. They were both outstanding Uh, in those attacking midfield roles so I think it definitely gives uh, Fonseca some food for thought in some upcoming matches you might not want to play Pellegrini there against every opponent because like you have mentioned in the past certain opponents when they pressure him he does make rush decisions and he'll kind of just kick hoof the ball away sometimes and things like that but uh, another outstanding performance from him so he's starting to show some versatility to his game which we haven't seen in past seasons where he's able to sit deep and play the deep role he's able to be more effective in the attacking role than we saw sometimes last year, where he would just kind of drift out wide. Um, yeah. Certainly, having, out. having
0: having said that, what what can he take from a performance like this that's different from those attacking midfield performances in the past? Like, what, what can he use from these performances to make sure his confidence stays high?
1: I think the goal is huge for him. He hasn't scored much yeah. in a Roma shirt compared to his days playing a more attacking role under Di Francesco. S.S. Wolo. So I think the goal is, is big for him. He also had a, a beautiful goal that got called back for uh, an offside where he chipped the keeper. The keeper had come out. He hooked and looped it over the top and it went in too. So I just mm. think, like, those things are huge for him because we know he's, he can be an assist machine at times. We know he likes to set up teammates. Yeah. Um, and he did have an assist in this one. And he's always making those key passes and playing those through balls. He had a couple accurate through balls yesterday and things like that. Um, but I, I think the goal is big for his confidence. I, yeah, I think that,
0: that – that... That suggests like greater understanding of like when to switch positions with Mickey and Jekka, right?
1: Mm -hmm. He also, he also drew the most fouls in the team. I just noticed he drew four uh, fouls, which was uh, big in Roma holding possession at times. So uh, not something he always does. I think that's big for him that that might show a little more willingness to try to work through some struggles than to just hook the ball away. Maybe too, if you're letting the opponent close you down and holding them off.
0: I'll, I'll ask you a similar question about Pellegrini that, that I just did about Castor, but this in context of the Italian national team. Name, name, Not that you'd want to, but name three better Italian midfielders instead Serie a than Pellegrini.
1: So, yeah, the midfield is tough because I think the best overall Italian player at the moment, at the moment, the way they're playing has got to be Barella. I think he's been outstanding for Inter and for the okay. national team. Um, the nat- the national team midfield is stacked, but I think right now, you know, Pellegrini is making a, a case for himself to, if not start at the Euros, at least get some playing time. Um, because you know, you have Verratti, you have Jorginho, you have Barella, uh, you have Locatelli who's starting to make an impact on the national team. Yeah. Um, Tonali hasn't played as much at Milan. He's still young. So I, you know, I think from a big tournament standpoint, I think Pellegrini has got to be ahead of him in the pecking order. Um, I've even seen Pellegrini utilize more as a winger with the national team and she needs to use him on the left wing occasionally. And he had a nice game yep. there. So I think his, his all around game that's starting to develop also makes him an option in other roles where mm-hmm. he might find himself a little more playing time with the national team. Um, especially depending on how quickly Zagnolo recovers because Zagnolo' is also in the midfield mix, depending on how Mancini decides to deploy him. But um, some of these Roma players can have an impact at the Euros. Um, You know, I think Pellegrini, depending on Zanjola's health, are in the mix. Um, I think Mancini is, you know, fighting for one of those backup center back roles. So Roma's starting to get a nice young crop of players that can really uh, contribute to the Italian national team and to other national teams as we've seen. Yeah.
0: Well, that's interesting because Mancini, I I I don't know about this season, but last season he was spoken of on Sky Italia as like the – the, the, the player to build the Italian defense around, which mm-hmm. is not my opinion, it's actually came from uh, it was Beppe, um, uh, what's his name, uh, the ex inter defender, Beppe, uh, I forget, but I he's a f- famous commentator now. And, and they, you know, they were saying, you know, Mancini's highly rated in Roberto Mancini's eyes, um, and uh, well thought of in the, in the Italian national team. So, who, who's ahead of him right now?
1: Uh, I think. You know, besides, I think Bonucci and O'Cherby are the starters being the veterans right now. Um, I think Bonucci is not as good of a defender as some people think. I think O'Cherby makes him look good on the national team, just like Keely made him look good for so many years from a defensive standpoint. But he does distribute the ball well, which could be why he's, you know, still rated by Mancini. Um, I think Bastoni is probably the young center back that's the highest rated right now.
0: Yeah, I've always uh, rated him.
1: Yeah, Bastoni's yeah. very good. I think but I think besides Bastoni, I think Mancini has a chance. You know, I you know, Romagnoli's good and he's a little more experienced, but I think Mancini can play uh as well as or better sometimes than Romagnoli. Um yeah. so I, I,
0: I, I love I love his game on the ball more than anything. I, yeah. I mean I, I, I know a lot of people love his aggression and I, I do too, but I just think he, he has an eye for a pass that I haven't seen in the Roma team for many years. Like he's, yeah. he's very brave on the ball.
1: I think, you know, going forward, and I'm not talking even World Cup 2022 because, you know, it's only a year from now, so Cheruby and Bonucci probably still in the picture. Um, mm. I think going forward after that, you could see uh, Boston and Mancini emerge as the top two center backs. It, it's certainly a possibility because um, yeah. I think they would complement each other pretty well, too. Especially I agree. ball-playing ability. Yeah. um I think the thing that hurt these and we're getting a little bit into the national but I think the thing that hurt these Roma players the most was the the COVID stoppage of them traveling for the last few qualifiers and uh in Nations League games rather than qualifiers and that friendly yeah. because they they would have gotten valuable minutes Mancini would have gotten some valuable minutes in defense because you know I think D'Ambrosio started the friendly in, in center back he's not a you know he's not a great player at this yeah. point um so yeah. But I think, you know, come the spring, they might I'm sure they'll have a couple more friendlies. I think you'll see these Roma players in the mix trying to earn a spot at Euro 2021 and yeah, we'll be hope be chief among them.
0: Yeah, we'll hope that they're not hit with more travel bans like they were yeah. this past winter. But uh, yeah, there's, one, there's one player that we, we haven't gotten around to yet who was at the heart of, of the midfield yesterday, quite literally uh, in terms of our position. He was, you know, at the heart of everything. And he'd made the most passes of anyone on the pitch. And he's not short of people who, who admire him, but, you know, no less myself. Um, it's Gonzalo Gonzalo Villar. He um you know, he he I don't know if if, if the team worked hard to, to give him that space or if if he was just that good on the ball that he couldn't be closed down, but it looked like um on the map afterwards that it was Andrea Poli who was put there to to sort of like keep him quiet Villar, in the one on one. And it didn't work. You know, he, he, yeah. he basically outfoxed Poli. So, is uh, is VR now a, a stone cold starter for, for Roma? Is he the fulcrum of Roma's possession game, or, or where do you see us moving forward next week with VR?
1: So, I think it's hard to call him a stone cold starter just because there's a competition there between him. You know, Verto, Pellegrini. I think they've all earned playing time sooner or later. Diawara, I would think, would get a little more time. I don't, but I think he has emerged as definitely at worst third choice in that two man midfield. Mm-hmm. Um you know you mentioned Poli a strong defensive midfielder veteran defensive midfielder who's been around for a long time and this is a 22 year old kid who you know I think got Poli taken off by halftime I'm pretty sure Poli was out of the match by halftime um okay. yeah I-, I
0: remember I remember last season Poli was put on Pellegrini yeah. and uh, it it worked, you know, it was, yeah. like we had a hard time against them. And then this, it seems like a different story this year.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, He was out by halftime. Uh, he just had a poor game. Like you mentioned, um, VR yeah. made him look bad in that first half when Rome was really exploiting the spaces and VR, I, the thing I love about him so much, and you mentioned it earlier with players like him, he's just so calm. Um, yeah. You know, he's a calm player. For a 22 year old kid, he doesn't panic. He really has no top flight experience outside of his time at Roma because he was playing Spanish Segunda Division football yeah. until Roma bought him last year, and he was he's just been so good. He's like that money ball signing, you know, where Roma buys a young player at a at a low price, and he they, somebody saw the talent, whether it's Petrarchi yeah. or one of his scouts saw something in him to bring him over, and he's been very good. Yeah. Uh, and I think he's a player Roma can build around in that midfield. Him and Pellegrini offer them two fairly young options to really build around. I think he will get his fair share of starts going forward. Um, but now with Pellegrini look, looking like a, an option in attacking midfield, which he probably always was based on his past, um, yeah. you know, maybe he rotates there more with um, Mkhitaryan and Pedro to rest some legs there, and then VR slides into central midfield, or if Vertu or Pellegrini needs a rest in the central midfield, like we've seen with some mid, uh, excuse me, midweek matches, Maybe yeah. VR gets starts. I think he will get his fair share of starts. Maybe not as often as Pellegrini and Vertu. But, you know, he's he's growing at week by week. And I think he's knocking at the door to to really make himself a fixture in the lineup.
0: If he if he continues at his rate of growth, do you see us getting mega money offers in for him? Like, we, we fear for Ibáñez? Or is he more of a, like, one who like, passes in the shadows?
1: I think um, maybe not as quickly as Ibáñez. Because I don't think he stands out as much as Ibáñez. Um just because Ibanez is so explosive, maybe. Yeah, but yeah. I think the, the, the right team might eventually come along and see that. Uh, mm. If he really develops over the next couple of years, you might see like a Barcelona knocking at Roma's door for a player like him, one of those possession based yeah. players. Exactly, He's yeah. the ball on the one, ground, calm on the ball. One of those
0: big clubs that really like has it in, in mind to, to control yeah. possession. Yeah,
1: yeah. I, I think that's the kind of team that would eventually come calling for him. I don't know if it's in the next summer, maybe two summers from now. Hopefully, he can just continue to develop for Roma for now because he's been a pleasure to see develop. Same with Ibanez uh, and some of these other young players. I think Roma's doing a great job of mm. starting to develop some that young talent.
0: Okay. Well, you mentioned another name there that was uh, you know, barely in contention. Right on the peripheral, once again, we saw yesterday uh, as Amadou Diwara, um, one of the substitutes that came on late in, you know, really with just a couple of minutes to spare in the game. Um, I know you, you would wanted to, to talk about this, the sub-pattern. So you know, why, why did uh, Roma or Fonseca or Nuno Campos wait so long yes, yet, yet again yesterday to, to actually switch it up?
1: Yeah, whether the whether the calls were coming down from Fonseca, because I did see a walkie-talkie in his hand, I think, at time yesterday where Campos was making the sub-calls. Uh, to me, yesterday was, it was baffling because there's been past games where I've defended them for making only one or two subs until late in the match because maybe it's a 2-1 match or almost playing well and you want to keep the shape, you want to keep the – the momentum going without bringing in someone who's not in the flow of the game. But yesterday Rum was up five, one at halftime. I didn't think you had to make subs necessarily at halftime, but maybe around the 60th minute, I felt like you could make three or four of those subs and really rest. <clears throat> some of those players who play a lot of minutes, like a Mkhitaryan, uh, Vertu two was coming off an injury. Jekko's still working his way back from COVID. You had smalling on the bench who's working his way back to fitness. So smalling was the first sub at the 66th minute made perfect sense. Uh, it happened to be for Kambula though, who came out with cramps. So that was even maybe forced a little earlier than Roma was planning. I don't know. But the, the ones that really drove me crazy were, why is Calafiore coming in in the 90th minute and Diawara in the 89th minute when, mm-hmm. you know, Spini and Solo, we talked about, he plays tons and tons of minutes. Um, why not bring in Calafiore around the 60th minute, get him 30 good Serie A minutes to really start to get him some good experience. Diawara, mm-hmm. bring him in and rest there too a little bit earlier. Um, you know, some of those things didn't make sense to I me. Mean, bring in Meyer all maybe earlier. He's going to come in and maybe work a little harder than Jeco at that point in the match. Let Jecko rest his legs. We have three matches coming up in the next 10 days before Christmas, like I mentioned. And one of those is a huge one next Sunday against Atalanta. Yeah. Um, so I, that just kind of drives me crazy sometimes because if you have the subs and you're up two, three goals in this case, four goals there, get the young players like Calafiore sometime, get Meyer all little yeah. time, get mauling some minutes in those legs. Um, you know, there weren't really any other, like, Primavera-type players on the bench that we might have wanted to see. But Calafiore is a, you know, a squad player now. Give him some time. Especially after Thursday, he had to miss out on that match last minute with Gastro issues. I would have given him at least 30 minutes in this one.
0: Yeah. I, I can't even offer a counter-argument there. Yeah. I mean, you know, when, when you're 5-1 five up, five up on the game, uh, I fully agree with you. I don't, I don't see any reason why he wouldn't change the players out and get some rhythm for, for players who, whose legs are cold. Um, yeah. It remains a mystery for now. But uh, yeah, I think we've we've chewed up everything we can about yesterday's win, and uh, we're going to move on to what's next uh, this coming week. You, you just mentioned now that we've got a very tight spell of games before Christmas and the winter break. Uh, it's you know by the time we get to Thursday in Venetian Torino, uh, we'll be kicking off a game, of, a spell of three games in the space of a week, um, it, it technically in the space of six days, which is ridiculous, really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, Fonseca. Fonseca declared before the Bologna game that this was, that was the first of four must win games headed into the, the winter break. Uh, we know that the next three of his must win games are against Torino at home, Atalanta away, and Cagliari at home. Uh, what, do you, what do you make of Roma's chances of coming uh, with uh, you know, nine points out of nine in those games? And, and what kind of rotation will we see with such a tight schedule?
1: So, yeah, definitely a tight schedule. I, th- I don't know if we'll see as heavy of a turnover going into Thursday as we do during the Europa League. Um, I think mm-hmm. guaranteed smalling start at this point with Cristante suspended at center back. Um, mm-hmm. But I do think we'll see some rotation against Torino, which is maybe why Diawara and Calafiore didn't play a ton yesterday. Maybe they get some more minutes Thursday. Maybe that's the kind of game you rest a Karsdorp or you rest a Spinazzola or Mkhitaryan or someone like that against a struggling, struggling Torino side. Um, mm-hmm. Atalanta's the big one. I think Atalanta, you see pretty much this lineup with maybe the exception of Smalling at center back, um, Mirante possibly in goal, and then maybe Pedro's back from suspension. So you see him slot into the attacking midfield and Pellegrini slides back in place of VR. But I think Atalanta is where Fonseca plays his strongest lineup. Atalanta hasn't been as good as we've seen in past years. They're very streaky. Uh, they mm-hmm. did get out of their Champions League group, but right now Roma has a four-point cushion on them. Um, so if Roma wins Thursday, they have a minimum four point cushion going into Sunday, which is huge. And Atalanta actually plays at Juventus on Wednesday ahead of the Roma match on Sunday. So Adelanta's gonna have to play a strong lineup on Wednesday, which, yeah. um, you know, they they, to me, don't seem like a team that rotates a whole ton to begin with. Um, so I think Roma has a, a legitimate shot at winning all four of these quote unquote must win matches that Fonseca called them. And mm-hmm. go into Christmas on a real high. Now Atalanta is a tough task in Bergamo, but interestingly enough, I was I remember catching a little bit of the Atalanta match midweek in Champions League, and they actually fared better on the road than in um, Bergamo this Champions League group stage, which was interesting. So maybe okay. they're, maybe they're vulnerable there without the fan base there to support yeah. them. So you know, Calcutta is a beatable team right after that. So I think Torino and Calcutta have to be must wins. Atalanta, I I don't want to call it a must win because it is still early in the year, but knowing our struggles against the top six, it kind of is becoming a must win, I feel like. Normally, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, like a point on the road against Atalanta is a good result. But I think, you know, with that piece Bren wrote, he pointed out, he kind of followed up on the question we had posed recently on on the show. Roma actually does struggle compared to their direct competition. So I think a win in Bergamo would go a long, long way for Roma uh, heading into Christmas break. Yeah, we
0: we were asking in the last episode, uh, we'd love to see how other top six teams do against their direct rivals and not just make it a Roma conversation. And there's an excellent piece by Bren the day after where he, you know, the, it's actually called Roma's top six form is holding the back, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. Yeah. And he, he proved it in in cold, hard numbers. Um, you know, Roma's record is really, uh, they, they're they getting comparatively less points against their mm-hmm. rivals than than everyone else. So yeah, it's a very good point you made and, and an excellent piece by Bren that... If you haven't read it yet, you might want to check it out just to, to settle all doubts about whether this Roma top six struggle thing is real. It is. Um, uh, other news is that Roma today were drawn against Braga in the Europa League round of 32, so Roma know their fate going into uh, uh, January or February whenever the Europa League kicks off again and in, turns into the knockout round. And it's uh, it's a return to one of Paulo Fonseca's most successful spells in his. Managerial career where he he took Braga to the Portuguese Cup final and beat none other than the mighty FC Porto in the final and raised the Portuguese Cup trophy with little or Braga um, they're not that little actually I, mean, I, I remember Braga from years gone by uh, you know then they're no strangers to causing upsets in the Europa League against bigger clubs in Roma so it's it's one to look out for and one to to be on guard against uh, taking that one you know not taking that one seriously enough. Um, I'm jumping ahead a little bit by, by mixing up Europa League with Serie A form but Steve where, where do you see Roma's chances of advancing to the, to the final 16 of Europa League and, and where do you see on the domestic front um, Roma
1: being in a table by Christmas break um, and who,
0: who is going to be Roma's top scorer by
1: Christmas? So in terms of the Braga draw, I thought the Braga draw was pretty good. We avoided some of the, uh, the tougher matchups that we could have gotten. I think Real Sociedad was one, um, and there was a couple. I think Lille was another team that was a possible adversary. Yep. So we avoided some of those bigger clubs. You know, Braga right now in Port- Portugal, six wins, three losses, no draws, fourth in the table. So I think they're a, certainly a manageable draw for Roma. I think Roma will be favored. I think if they approach it uh, the right way, I think Roma should be favored to go to the round of 16. I'm, I'm not going, you know, to, to you know, lose sleep over Braga. Now, could Roma, mm-hmm. you know, boggle it? I think they certainly could. We've seen them, you know, pay a little less attention sometimes in Europa League matches. But I think if they approach it with the right mentality, I think, you know, great chance to advance. Um, mm-hmm. In terms of Serie a, if they can win out like uh, Fonseca is saying, you know, must win games, I think Roma's got a good chance of, moving possibly into the top four by Christmas if they can win all three matchups, because looking at the standings, um, you know, they're not far behind uh, point behind Sassuolo, two points behind Juve, two points behind Napoli, three behind Inter. All those clubs are in play with three games to go before Christmas. Um, yeah. I think it's certainly possible to be top four. Um, you know, Atalanta plays Juve. So there's a good chance Juve could possibly drop points there. Um, Sassuolo and Milan play head to head on Sunday. Big matchup in the standings. Um, so there are some big matchups coming up with uh, some of their direct rivals facing off. Taking each uh, other out. Yeah, yeah. Milan plays Lazio. I know Lazio is behind us right now, but Milan plays Lazio and Sassuolo Sunday and Wednesday of next week. Um, so there's certainly some chances for teams to drop points. Yeah. Uh, and if Roma can take care of business, uh, Napoli plays Lazio on Sunday. Napoli plays Inter to uh, Wednesday. Yeah. So. Roma, if Roma beats Atalanta and they take care of business and the others like they should, Roma's top four, I think, at Christmas. Um, okay. So who, be, who's, I'm, gonna, I'm be, who's gonna be I'm being optimistic.
0: Yeah, it's a very very optimistic prediction there. But who, who's I like the optimism. Let's let's continue with who's gonna who's gonna fire Roma to top four by Christmas? We got we got Megatarian as a lead score right now, Dzeko's just behind them on five, Pedro with four, Mearo with four with comparatively less game time than, than all the other three names and there's even Jordan Vertu, who's actually technically one of the second highest top scorer of the season so far through penalties. So, uh, that's, that's five names that could be, could be leading the, the ammunition by Christmas. Who, who's your favorite pick out of all of them?
1: I mean, just based on form alone, I think I have to go with Mkhitaryan. He seems to be kind of scoring for fun this year in some ways. Um, yeah. I know there's a couple guys that, you know, at his heels, especially Vertu with those five, which are mostly penalties. Um, and Jeco, any any match could knock in two or three, but I think Mkhitaryan's just been so great this year that I'm going to have to go Mkhitaryan um, to lead us at Christmas with another goal or two to his name by then. There's no, no late starts for me, before the Christmas break? It's hard to say. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets a start against either Torino or Calgary with a the, with the heavy stretch of games. Um, yeah. But... Yeah, you, yeah, you're going off all competitions with Meijerol. If we're looking at just A goals, I would go Mikatarian, I guess.
0: Oh, true. Yeah, yeah. true. Yeah. Um, yeah. If we're
1: going league goals. But Meijerol with all those Europa League goals is is in play. You're right. Um, I think yeah. it depends how much playing time he gets. He just missed one yesterday uh, on an open goal where the goalie came out far at a cute angle, and he just clipped the post. He almost had another one to his name. So, yeah. um, possibility. I, th- I do think he gets good minutes, though, against Torino and Cali. If Roma play those matches the right way and can rest Dzeko a bit.
0: Yeah, I I get the feeling that like if he if he gets one early goal in the game, he might you know set come, come on fire and and, yeah. and uh, get a hat trick. I, I just have that feeling about him, but we'll see.
1: So before um, we go, Sean, though, now yeah. that you put the pressure on me, where do you see? How do you see Roma finishing out the year? What do you see with uh, Braga and, <laughs> and the, the scores table? I mean,
0: I I love to be the pessimistic one just to go against you, but I, I gotta say I've, I'm optimistic as well. I think um i see us i see us beating torino for sure um as i don't i'm not quite sure what the real problem is in their in their season so far i mean there's been rumors that that you know star players papu has falling out with their coach yeah but that's that, not
1: those rumors have grown too today i saw so. yeah
0: but as we said that that's not the first time that's happened and they've, mm-hmm. they've buried the hatchet and and you know found the answer gasparini is a very good coach at finding the answer mid-season and going on a on a second wind um to you know close up the season at the business end so i'm not counting them out yet but considering it's the first half of the season um, we might find atlanta in sort of like second gear like you know they mm-hmm. it's not it's not the first season where they start they start off slow you know even their the best ever season in the history was when they started off slow and they were they were sort of like mid table um in december and then they went off on a Rip roaring, you know, run of form yeah. in January, February, all the way to, to the end. But yeah, two years luckily, ago, we were ahead of them at yeah. this
1: point in the season. And they blew exactly. past us. Exactly.
0: So, um, luckily, we're facing them in December before they get ho- warm. So, I think we could beat them. And, uh, Cagliari, I mean, you know, as much as I love Different honestly, my favorite football coach right now, uh, they're very, I mean, I've watched Calgary games this season. They're very hit and miss. Um, they can have a good half and then follow up with a really bad one. So, uh, I think we're more consistent than them. Yeah, I see nine points out of nine. I see Fonseca getting his, his four must-win games in the bag. Um, like I said, I can't go against you. I'm, I'm just as optimistic as you. Maybe we need Brennan here to, to pour some cold water <laughs> over. <laughs> but we, we know that top four this year is really ride or die because this year, uh, just this past week, we had the news sorry that uh, the board, uh, Dan Friedkin and, and co, have invested a further $60 million of their initial 150 million uh, capital reinvestment that they agreed at the takeover deal uh, to make a total of 210 million cash injection into the club this past week to cover all the losses. And uh, we know that clubs around the continent uh, are losing money left, right, and center in this pandemic-struck season. So UEFA have just taken a step, well, a month ago, uh, but I just read it this past week on the Swiss Ramble, which is everyone's favorite Ramble, that um, they've taken a step of excluding 2020 from the FFP monitoring uh, accounts, so everyone gets a free pass this year to to make as much losses as they want, and uh, that effectively means that Roma's finish of uh, fifth place last year is a, is a free pass to fail of qualifying the Champions League. But if if they if they miss out again this season, then it's really you know it's it's getting serious in terms of whether Fonseca can can really be the man to to really make that jump forward with Roma, or if he's taken as far as he can. So everything riding on top four this season. Um, Steven, is, is there any upcoming You have any upcoming articles that you want to mention? Or is there anything in the week that you, you've got on your mind?
1: Yeah, so um, I've actually got uh, Rob Gilman coming on tomorrow. I'm going to do a special pre-match podcast uh, with him. He's a Torino writer. He's actually uh, done, uh, written a bu- book about Torino, about um, Ventura's year. So he's coming on tomorrow to do a, a pod with me for a preview and also a written Q&A. Uh, I also will have a special Adelante guest later in the week uh, doing a Q and a and am probably a pod as well. Um, so those will be nice. I like to bring on some different perspectives when we can get, you know, uh, yeah. the op- opponent's perspective. So we'll have a couple of those extra pods coming up uh, in the coming week. Uh, and also I'm doing a little research on the goalie position uh, because when I was a recent guest on um, David on show, uh, Calculant he posed a question if he, you know, he sees goalie as a, position in need for Roma, who would I have taken? And spur of the moment, I picked Juan Musso from Udinese when he presented yeah. me the options. Yeah. So I'm, uh, I'm starting to do a little research. I'm a bit busy with work with report cards this week, but hopefully by the end of the week, early next week, I'll be able to put out a piece comparing Musso, uh, Dragowski, Crano, Silvestri, uh, those four players, and hmm. maybe who would be the best option for Roma to pursue if they do decide to move on from Lopez
0: I'd I'd love to take Musso, but I, I have a feeling that like he's already priced himself yeah. out of
1: I think he might be priced out. That might be the problem. But yeah. just for uh kicks and giggles, I'm gonna try to make uh <laughs> see who would present the best option, both from a monetary and stats perspective. So
0: Yeah. Well it sounds good. Sounds good. I I wonder if one of these days you can't get someone who has a real grudge against Roma on the on, yeah. on the show.
1: not
0: <laughs> open up a lot of the hatred of, of Roma fans and, and the club. Yeah. <laughs> but um yeah, that's what we've got to look forward what we've got to look forward to this coming week uh stay tuned with us for the next episode but thanks for joining us so far you know that this podcast if you're not already listening to it is available on all the major networks spotify itunes google and uh that wraps up our 5-1 historic win over bologna this season but uh as we said we've got the games coming thick and fast this week so really don't miss out stay tuned and bye for now